Hello, and this is Films for the Very First Time. Just wanting to intro the episode here as you're about to hear some very bad singing for about 15 to 20 seconds for our theme song, which is a parody of Feels Like the First Time by Foreigner. So uh, if you don't want to hear bad singing, just skip the 30 seconds button uh, and you'll be introduced to the episode proper. If you're open to hearing my terrible singing, uh, just keep listening. Films for the first time. Films for the very first time. Films for the first time. Films for the very first time. Hello and welcome to Films for the Very First Time. My name is Jordan and with me as always is Casey McGeorge. Oh, how's it going everybody? It is going pretty well. Uh, what um, what movie did you pick for us this week? So, I'm a big dork, right? You know this. Mm-hmm. If you listen to this podcast, you probably figured that out already. Uh, even though I absolutely hate the cold weather, right? I grew up in the Northeast and I just despise the snow. I love the time of the year from like October all the way to like New Year's. Mm-hmm. You get like three big holidays back to back to back. There's tons of food, like all kinds of great stuff. And I love Christmas. I absolutely love Christmas time. So I chose uh, Scrooge, a movie by Richard Donner. Enjoy the ride. How do you know my name? I know absolutely everything, Frank. You see, I'm the ghost. (laughs) Hey, you don't mind if I smoke, do you? Smoke, smoke. It's a retelling of a Christmas cat from Charles Dickens, right? Mm Mm-hmm. We've all heard the story. We've all seen the story in some way, shape, or form. And in all fairness, there's only so many ways you can kind of tell the Christmas Carol story. Every year Scrooge, he gets visited by three ghosts, right? Ghost of Christmas Past, Ghost of Christmas Present, Ghost of Christmas Future. He's a horrible guy. By the end of it, he changes his ways. Everybody's happy. Spoiler alert, like, I mean, it's, but that's basically the story. There's only two really original ways I've ever seen it being told. One is with the Muppets, because you can make anything and everything better with the Muppets, mm-hmm. right? The other is this, with a comedy version, with Bill Murray. And I saw this as a kid, and I don't know why this one really stuck with me. Maybe because it was Bill Murray, maybe because it was just a comedy, but it, it was, it, it's always stuck with me. And it's probably my favorite version of the telling of a christmas cat because like i said there's only so many ways you can tell it you can get whatever celebrity you want to play different roles but it's still the same story you can't really tweak the story that much because then it's not the same story so this was released november 23rd of 1988 uh 
I was 10 years old. Um, where were you when this came out? Not born. Um, okay. My... That's what I figured, but I couldn't remember. No, my sister was born this year, just a few days after this released, really, December 1st. So, um, yeah, so that is uh, what my parents were up to at the time, was raising, <laughs> you know, like getting ready to have yeah, a baby. Um, yeah, and then I would come, uh, you know, in 91. But uh, I've seen, I would say, probably like one or two scenes on like uh, when this is on TV during the holidays, TBS. yeah, TBS or TNT or something like that. I think it was TNT that I saw this on, um, and it was one of the scenes of like the one of the scenes on the stage. You know, when they're filming their Christmas Carol, their holiday the show. Yes. yes, when they're like rehearsing it or something. It may have been the scene when Karen Allen comes in for the first time. You know, it, it was somewhere around then. Uh, was it just something that not really piqued your interest because it's the basically the same story of a Christmas Carol? I so think I watched till like no a commercial break it. and then was like, "All right, time to find something else." It didn't really grab me. It was already in the middle of the movie, and I was like, "Eh, maybe I'll watch it someday." And I did. And now so I have. Yesterday, <laughs> yesterday was that day. Yes. All right. So I got two. Uh, Two synopsises for it. Remember, this is 1988. In this modern take on Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol, Frank Cross, played by Bill Murray, is a wildly successful television executive whose cold ambitions and curmudgeonly nature has driven away the love of his life, Claire Phillips, played by Karen Allen. But after firing staff member, staff member Elliot Loudermilk, played by Bobcat Goldwaite, on Christmas Eve, Frank is visited by a series of ghosts who give him a chance to reevaluate his actions and right the wrongs of his past. Uh, another one I saw was Francis Xavier Cross as a cynical, mean-spirited television executive who treats his loyal assistants with contempt. He just sacked a member of his staff on Christmas Eve for simply disagreeing with him, and he's alienated himself from his brother who still insists on inviting Frank to Christmas dinner despite him refusing to go every year. However, Frank is forced to learn the true meaning of Christmas when he's visited by three ghosts. Okay, before we start, there was a guy I saw on Twitter, I want to say it was last year, or earlier this year or something, uh, lost the trivia contest because of this movie, and it, it, it enveloped a discussion. How many ghosts are in this movie? Uh, how, how many ghosts are in A Christmas Carol? How many ghosts are in a Christmas carol? Um, typically four, right? Because you have Marley who visited. That's what he answered. He was told that was incorrect because they only counted the three ghosts. Ah, oh, see, that's... And then that, that developed into like a spirited discussion online. I was like, no, it's only three. And then it was like, it's actually four. You're not counting the ghosts. Of... In a Christmas carol, it's Marley who comes. And shows him there, like, who tells him about it. And it's like, no, that ghost doesn't count. He's still a ghost. It counts. So that's just one of those weird things that, that, that happened. Well, this one's tougher. This one's tougher too, right? Because, like, are you including the ghosts that are on the play, uh, on the television? 
live, you know, like the live play of A Christmas Carol. All right. So this was directed by Richard Donner, who we've, we've talked about previously. Superman 1 and 2, Lethal Weapon series. Goonies, Goonies. right? Goonies. Yep. Yeah, he's he's uh he's done he's done some stuff. Pretty good like he he's done some pretty good stuff at that. Like how many I don't know if this guy How many directors have we've done that have done multiple of our movies? I guess Peter Jackson, James Cameron, and now Richard Donner, is that it? Yeah, in all fairness, I I, I hadn't even I didn't even realize or think about Richard Donner until I looked up you mm-hmm. know, the info for the notes. But um doesn't really feel like a Donner guys... film, so I mean but he's also one of those guys from like the eighties and nineties who like did a ton of great stuff, but he probably doesn't get a lot of credit today. But like, if you went back to like the, the eighties and nineties, he was like the hot director out there. Right. Right. Um, written by Mitch Glazer and Michael O'Donohue. It is based off obviously a Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens starring Bill Murray, Karen Allen, John Forsythe, John Glover. Bobcat Goldway, David Johansson, or Buster Poindexter, as he is sometimes known, Carol Kane, and Alfre Woodard. Uh, $32 million budget, uh, grossed $103 million at the box office. This is also 1988, man, so like a $100 million movie was, was huge back then. Still wasn't like one of the top movies, but it, 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 especially like a holiday movie, it wasn't something that happened all the time. It was actually nominated for an Academy Award for Best Makeup, but lost out to Beetlejuice. Hmm. Which, yeah, I, I give. I don't know what else was in that nomination, but I can see Beetlejuice getting Best Makeup. Um, which I didn't even know Beetlejuice actually had an Academy Award until I saw this. Yeah, me neither. Um, I would not have expected Beetlejuice to have an Academy Award. Um. Or this one, or Scrooge to have a nomination. Um, so, to me, so there's, this movie went through some turmoil because it stars Bill Murray. And if you look up anything to do with Bill Murray, he's not easy to get along with on set. Um, he's obviously done some horrible things to people and bad things to people. Like, he was replaced in Charlie's Angels because of how he treated the other cast members specifically like lucy Liu, mm-hmm. uh, and they didn't put up with it rightfully so so he was replaced by bernie mac for the sequel um but it seems to be a pattern with him in a lot of his movies where he's really hard to get along with he's difficult to work with um but to me this and a couple of his other movies show when he's on and he's involved in a movie like he is just he's top notch he's he's a funny guy he's great at what he does but you have to deal with the baggage of it being bill murray and just how he is and if that's something you really want to deal with you know um and then there was a whole thing a couple years ago about how in order to cast bill murray there's like this weird 800 number you have to call and like leave a voicemail and then from there like at some weird random point, if he's interested, he'll call you back and you've got to meet. Like he's very difficult. Like he doesn't go through like normal processes of like sending his agent a script or something. Like there's this whole weird process and everything. 
And then there was the whole time, like in the early 2000s, whatever, where he was doing like really kooky stuff. Like he's a big Chicago guy. He's big into Chicago sports. So he'd be walking to like a Cubs game or something going on his way there. Somebody would grab a hot dog or whatever, and he might grab it out their hands and eat it. And he'd be like, well, you know, what, what the hell are you doing? And he would just like run off yelling, no one's ever going to believe you. And, or he would just pop up in like weird random bars or like weird frat parties and things. Because he's Bill Murray and he's just weird and creepy. But like I said, this is one of those that shows like if he's if he wants to be involved and he wants to work with it, he's he's great at what he does. But man, get rid of that baggage. He he might he might have gone down as one of the better actors of our generation, but because of everything else tied to him, it's kinda kinda difficult to have that appreciation for. Um, yeah, I mean, there was a whole bunch of controversy when he was just cast in Quantumania um, as well. Yeah, I think I remember seeing and hearing about that. Um, but he's still a name and he's still, like I said, he still can attract some, you know, I don't know. Um, so he, he, he did Ghostbusters in 84. He took four years off. They tried to get him to do this movie a couple years before. But he was like living in France and he was enjoying just kind of chilling out and he was thinking about like giving up acting and then he finally decided, hey, he'd stick with it or he would give it a try. But then there was a whole thing about reworking the script and then the whole Bill Murray thing came in and uh, apparently him and Richard Donner did not get along. Um, There was a lot of tension on set. when asked by film critic Roger Ebert if he had any disagreements with Donner, Murray replied only a few. Every single minute of the day. Could have been a really, really great movie. The script was so good. There's maybe one take in the final cut that's mine. We made it so fast it was like a doing a movie live. He kept telling me to do things louder, louder, louder. I think he was deaf. Um, and there's, 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 he said before that there's, that like, there's a ton of stuff that was left on the cutting room floor. So I, I don't know if there's any way to get it back. I'd kind of like to see if there was another cut of the movie. Yeah. Um, to see what that could turn out to be. Release the Snyder cut, Scrooge. But I don't know if it's uh, I don't know if it's really worth it. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of love the movie enough as it is. So this is also very timely right now, considering we have a lot of TV executives doing a lot of crappy things and i can imagine this is kind of what life with a tv executive could be like yeah you know there was also another scene that felt uh very timely and that's when uh the hold on i have i have the cast list up here okay elliot Loudermilk comes in with a gun Shooting up the place, I was like, oh, okay, in 88, this is probably, like, a little funny. Uh, Nowadays, this is something that (laughs) hits a little closer to home. Yeah, yeah, that that, that one, uh, I hadn't even thought about that really till now. Maybe just because, not that I'm desensitized, but the, the mass shootings are happening so often. You hear about it, and it's sad, but it's just like, damn it, but... Yeah, like back in 88, that would have been something that like would have set the world ablaze, though. Uh, also, just the 
so there's there's the actual aspect of uh um and Preston tells him there's twenty seven million cats, forty eight million dogs, and uh he says that IBC, the the channel, needs to start gearing programming towards pets. Um one of the notes I got is as of 2015, there's several dog and cat specific channels on Roku. Roku supplied dedicated pet programming based on scientific studies of what interests them. And there are studies that apparently, like, if you do leave a TV on for a cat or dog, it does help them out. It can help them out during the day. And then there's, uh, there's different, different, uh, different YouTube videos of people showing their cats and dogs being very like interested or bothered by stuff that's on the TV, and some of it's hilarious. Like I saw one yesterday of a, a cat watching something with a bird. This big hawk or bird comes flying towards the TV screen, and like it comes like right at the screen. And the cat gets kind of scared, scurries off, and things. Have you seen the one where like they're watching a Lion King and Mufasa dies, and like the dog is like sad and upset? I haven't. Part of me wants to watch it, but the other part of me doesn't because I'll cry seeing Mufasa die again. <laughs> I can't deal with that. I got traumatized by that as a kid. I remember seeing that in the theater. And yeah, that that is heartbreaking. That is sad, especially when Simba comes up to him. He's like, Dad, Dad. Yeah. And it's just like, oh, damn it. That's the scene that they show is like the dog is like whining when he's like, Dad, get up. Did you... I think it was a Christmas one from last year. There was one where, I think it was a Christmas commercial, and it showed like a dog doing a commercial on a on a trampoline, or it was a video of a. It showed dog watching TV, and it's the dog that's in the commercial. He's jumping on the trampoline. Yes, yeah, or whatever. And he like, and and then they get him a trampoline. He kind of goes back to jumping on it. It's pretty awesome. Pets are awesome, man. Pets are awesome. Yes. Um. All right, so we start off. Uh, they're showing like IBC, which is the network in this movie, um, showing uh their version of like a Christmas Carol, and then it it cuts to another one of uh the six million dollar man. I forget his name. Uh, Steve Lee Austin, Majors. Uh, Lee Majors is the actor. Six million dollar man. Yeah, yeah. Fighting, this was a fighting wild... bad guys from Santa. Wild opening. I had no clue how this movie opened, and I'm like, I, I figured it out this? while I'm watching it. I'm like, at first, I'm like, did I press the wrong thing? But then I'm like, oh, this is probably going to be revealed to be some like TV movie or something that they are uh, showing, especially when they open it up and get the guns, like Santa and stuff gets the guns. Oh, I'm like, knows, okay, yeah. this is. Uh, I don't care, Santa. You, 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 you got to go. You can't. The world can't lose Santa. <laughs> By the way, the, the, someone's been a very good boy this year. Yeah, that, and then when they have, uh, what's his name, uh, in the, uh, uh, no, who was it? Um, in the scene right after that, where they switch to showing him in the bayou. Um. Oh, Robert Goulet, I think. Yes, yeah, Robert Goulet. And his Christmas special, and they have like the alligator or whatever following him. I was like, this channel, man. Um, I'm I'm starting to wonder how he even got to president. If this is the type of content he was putting together on this, 
the youngest president in network television yes. history. Yeah, because a lot of um, the events that, that they show when he's still just like the dog actor, right, is like only like yeah. 12 to 15 years before the time the movie takes place. So he had a quick rise. Well, maybe. T- yeah. Yeah. No, maybe like 20 because it was in like the uh, he was he was playing the dog in like the 60s. And this is probably taking place in the mid to late 80s. So about 20 years, 15 to 20 years. Yeah, it was 88, and I think the last, I think he kept saying the last time he saw her was 15 years ago. So, like, 15 years ago, he yeah. was the dog. But, and then, like, when the first ghost visits him, um, and warns him that, Takes you know, three ghosts are going to be yeah. visiting. Uh, no, before the taxi driver, the, the yeah, old, yeah, his okay, old yeah, boss yeah. shows up, and he's only been dead for seven years. So, I'm guessing he took over after his boss died. Uh, so he's probably only been in this role for seven years. And so, I, mean, I don't know how old the people are listening to this, but you got to remember back then, outside of cable, there was only three channels. There was ABC, NBC, and CBS. Fox came in the late 80s and that wasn't available everywhere and then until it became the fourth channel. But for a while, it wasn't even... Uh, it was one of those you would get on UHF where you had to like point your antennas in a weird direction to get. It wasn't available everywhere. Um, it kind of forced its way into being a four channel. But remember, you only had three channels at the time. And also at the same time, uh, television used to go off the air at a certain time. Like 12, 1 o'clock in the morning, you would get like uh, a video of the flag and you would hear the national anthem playing. You get like a message that that concludes our broadcast day. It wouldn't pick back up to like five or six in the morning. So it wasn't outside of cable. There wasn't like 24 hour channels. So if like you dozed off, you would wake up to like static at like 146 in the morning because there was nothing on. Um, right, right. So, yeah, you know, but then he shows his what, what he the promos he wants to show. It shows pestilence and all these horrible things. You get people running out of the conference room, like wanting to throw up. And uh, old Bobcat Goldwade, Elliot Loudermilk there, you know, kind of disagrees with him. Tells him they can't show that. And that causes him to get fired. And stop his Christmas bonus because his secretary afterward reminds him about the bonus. And it's he does this often enough that they have a code for it. Um, yes, yeah. So they say she just calls up security, gives them the code, and they know, like, get Elliot that stops, like, HR and payroll, and they score him from the building and toss him out. Um, he, he goes downstairs. Uh, what, 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 what happened? He goes, uh, I forget what happened next. I literally just watched this, like, 30 minutes ago. Like, I just left from watching this. Uh, Anyway, so uh, come to find out, like, he's, oh, he goes over and he's trying to go through, like, the Christmas present list, either VCR or a towel. Everybody gets a towel. Nobody's nobody's good enough to get a VCR. Now, one of my notes here as well is about the VCR, and I kind of remember this. So uh, VCR, back in the late 80s, um, VCR cost anywhere from like five hundred to fifteen hundred dollars. Like not every house had one, mm-hmm. and 
if you had one, it was it took a little while to save up, and it was, it was quite a bit. Twenty twenty two money that's anywhere from one to three grand. Um, as well, like your tapes probably cost anywhere from fifty to a hundred bucks. So it wasn't it wasn't like now where you can go like we talked about before going like to the five dollar DVD bin and picking up um picking up random movies from like in a five dollar DVD bin or like on sale on Voodoo or something like you weren't you were you weren't seeing stuff like that back then um they were big and bulky too uh, a lot of them weren't the big cardboard sleeves a lot of them had like big thick plastic covers that you had to open up and pry open and things uh after that they go down um he goes to check out he, he gets called to set he goes down checks out what's going on on the set uh there's a there's the the network sensor down there they have what's called the solid gold dancers that unfortunately this was their last appearance because they were canceled in july of that year so they were no longer on the air at the time that that uh this movie came out really? in November of 88 yeah um so uh adlib line well so the sensor won't let it on because you can see part of one of the dancers areolas and she's like oh you can see her nipples you got come on is <laughs> like charles dickens would want to see her nipples and there's one of the workers on set he's like and he's like you can you can hardly see them nipples that line was ad-libbed by whoever the actor was <laughs> oh really in the script yeah supposedly it wasn't in the script um that that poor lady uh who's the network sensor she gets demolished quite a few times in this yeah she's the um the running gag in this yeah i was gonna say i was trying to think of another movie that did something similar there has been one i can't think of it right now but we're like that character just completely oh it's kind of like the cop in jingle all the way that always gets something oh you haven't no um it's got arnold schwarzenegger um but it has uh it has uh this cop in it where he you know spills coffee on himself due to arnold schwarzenegger's character he gets his bike gets broken because arnold schwarzenegger's like he's just always causing this cop a problem by accident and uh, it kind of feels similar to that So, uh, you know, the, the later on, like a house or a how part of a house that they're building on set falls on her. Um, hard just, she gets, she keeps getting beat up and horrible bad things keep happening to her throughout the, throughout the series, throughout the movie. It's a good running game. Um, he goes to some awards banquet where he gets an award for whatever he's doing for IDC. Uh, he talks about how he's never going to, uh, He's never. He's, he's always going to appreciate the word. He leaves it in the back of the cab. Um, his brother is there, who's still inviting him to Christmas dinner. He he turns it down again and again. We kind of get to see what kind of person he is because there's a bunch of street musicians, um, playing uh, on the street. Um, the leader, the street musician, is Paul Schaefer from with Late Show, David Letterman. He's done stuff with he was Letterman's band leader. Uh the other ones are, are Miles Davis, uh David Sanborn, not sure who he is, but I'm pretty sure people might know that name, and Larry Carl. 
So it was a, I guess they were pretty big musicians at the time. Um, I was ten, so I really didn't know any of them. I heard of Miles Davis, but that was about it. Um, he's complaining about him blocking the street, wondering where the cops are. He steals a cab from an old lady. Um, just because that's the kind of guy he is. Uh, he gives the guy like a the cab driver a fifteen cent tip for taking him back to his to his uh, office later in the evening. Because once again, it's just the kind of guy he is. He's cheap. He's not a good guy. Um, he gets upstairs. Uh, that's where he meets his former boss. His his, his he was his protege, uh, who tells him after getting shot at many times, right? So there's you know some thunder and lightning kind of things, blah blah blah. He sees a zombie basically walk up into his office, push a golf ball out of his head, right? Um. He pulls a gun out of his desk, shoots him a bunch. Guy gets mad because he's trying to pour a drink and he shoot, he ends up shooting the Bacardi bottle instead of the drink. Um, he tells him, you know, he's leading a horrible life. The basic Christmas Carol story. He's leading a horrible life. Um, he actually uses a line from the book and the movie. I think mankind should have been my, um, should have been what I was into or whatever. Tells him he's going to be visited by three ghosts. Um, doesn't, uh, obviously Bill Murray doesn't believe him, thinks he's hallucinating. I think his words were, it's, it's, he's, it's an effect from Russian vodka poisoned yes. by Chernobyl. Uh, good line right there. Good line. Um, he, he kind of picks him up by the throat. The ghost picks him up by the throat, pulls him out of the window. And he's worried because Bill Murray's worried because he thinks, uh, everybody's going to think it was suicide. Which isn't the way he wants to go or want to be known for going. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he kind of just falls to the floor, comes to, takes a drink of his, his Russian infused vodka, golf ball falls out. So it kind of gives him the, the clue that, hey, this was, this was real. This, this wasn't fake. Um, next morning, uh, we, we, we see that, uh, apparently the commercial he aired caused an old lady to die. Um, she had a heart attack and died. He's kind of excited. Uh, he's kind of excited by that. He wanted the commercial every hour, and now he wants it every half hour. Um, with a disclaimer, right? Yeah. Anybody with a heart condition should leave the room immediately. Um, the, this is the first time I noticed, as many times I've watched this movie, that I, I think there was kind of an allusion to an affair, which I don't think he's married, so of a thing going on between him and the blonde uh, executive that was up there. Which she's been in a lot of movies and I can't think of her name. Um, just the way she was around him and she put her hands on his shoulders and everything. Hmm, maybe. That's when his secretary comes in. Um, I just, I kind of got that from this one after watching this movie like 50 times. Um, so, uh, as he's leaving, he runs into, uh, another slimy executive that's kind of, um, there to see his current boss. Um, he's worried about it. He's worried about him because he knows he's like slime balls can like kind of recognize other slime balls from each other, right? Um, and this guy plays, he's played a bunch of bad guys in other movies. So I think he was in, uh, Gremlins or Gremlins 2, a couple other things like that. Uh, so he's, he, uh, eventually, um, he ends up going to lunch with, uh, his boss. 
And that's where he meets this guy again, finds out uh, his boss brought him in to help him out because he's worried about him being spread too thin because Francis Cross, they have all this live stuff planned as it's like leading to midnight from Christmas Eve into Christmas Day. And Bish and Desmond Tutu is supposed to like baptize the entire zoo, the entire Zulu nation and all this other stuff that's supposed to be going on. And it sounds like a logistical nightmare to pull off. And that apparently is why his boss brings him. So that's where we, we see the dibs of the first ghost. And before we get there, what, what are your thoughts on Francis Cross as we start? Of Bill Murray's character as we're getting through this book? Uh, I think my wife said it best. Like, you know, he's a jerk. <laughs> so she watched it with you? Yeah, she watched it with me. I was like, it's a Christmas movie. Let's sit down and, you know, watch it together. Um, yeah, he, he's a jerk. Um, I mean, I, I would say probably my least favorite Bill Murray character. I mean, he is like really crossing the line a lot on how much of a jerk he is compared to like, you know, some other ones I've seen. Like, I actually like Vankman in Ghostbusters and, you know, uh, that kind of stuff. So now, Bankman is kind of sleazy too. Yeah, he, this guy is even more sleazy. I mean, he fires the guy. Like the sleaziest thing Bankman does, right? Is the uh, when he's having the college students try to solve the, uh, the, the use their mental powers to know what card he's holding, and he like is even electrifying the kid that does get it right just so he can try to like bang the the college student that is you know hot or whatever but this one was uh i don't know he really rubbed me the wrong way like right off the bat uh, especially firing elliot loudermilk right away uh just for Saying what I was thinking, there's no way you can run this ad like it has nothing to do with actual Scrooge. But, you know, his the way that Bill Murray's character in this is selling some of this stuff is just wanting to sell the epicness of it. Of you can't, like he said, you don't want to miss this, right? You need to be home for this. And he's comparing it to all of this terrible stuff in the world to be like, now more than ever, you need to watch Scrooge. And, you know, that's kind of sleazy in its in its way, too. But, uh, I mean, Bankman also tries to sleep with one of his students. So, I mean. Well, yeah, I said that. But, I mean, like, he's not actively ruining people's lives like this is. I mean, uh I don't know. I don't know. Sleeping with one of your students might actively ruin somebody's life. Not if he gives her A's. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but um, um, no, I mean, like when you're firing people, when you have this much power as a president of television, you have so much more leverage over everybody than a professor does. Um, so firing people at will like this right before the holidays uh, treating his, he doesn't know anything about his secretary really, and what she's going through. Which um, there was a whole period where she wore black. He's like, I thought she was just in the black. Yes, yeah, and you know the, the way he even treats, um, you know, telling people to staple antlers on a mouse or a rat. You know, like that's that's a little uh, going over the top for me. So 
Frank Cross, my least favorite Bill Murray character. But he does a hell of a job playing Frank Cross. Like, yeah, but from what we hear from Bill Murray uh, he, about Bill Murray, he may not actually be playing a role here. <laughs> yeah. Look, they say in wrestling sometimes the best character is you just kind of turned up to 11. So maybe Frank Cross is kind of Bill Murray turned up a little bit. Uh, but we see like the first glimpses of, of what is going to be the Ghost of Christmas Past coming through, right? So he starts having hallucinations in this restaurant, very fancy restaurant, where his boss brings like his own gold-plated silverware, right? He's too good to use silverware from the restaurant. Like, what kind of douchey crap is this? Um, you know, there's uh, what what got me once again first time I, I've kind of noticed this. So they're going through his boss orders like lamb or something, which okay, like I've I've had it before. It can be done very well. Probably expensive meal at a restaurant like that. And then Bill Murray's pointing to the Bake Alaska. That, that's also very like fancy, expensive dessert, whatever. He's like, oh no, that guy had the meatloaf. You wouldn't want that. You're telling me like a five star restaurant like that is serving meatloaf to its customers? Yeah, um, that's true. <laughs> like literally, like I said, that's the first time I ever picked up on that. Like, look, I, I have nothing against meatloaf. I love me a good meatloaf. Some gravy on it, some mashed potatoes. Like, now I kind of want to make a meatloaf here soon, and I'm gonna. But I, I don't see that restaurant having meatloaf. Uh, he, he sees the waiter making the baked Alaska kind of catch himself on fire, but he's the only one seeing it. So he ends up uh, he ends up taking a bucket, a nice bucket, throwing it on the waiter to try and get rid of the fire as he's going crazy to go outside. Um, so he slips and falls. That was not in the script. That was a real accident. Because oh. as he threw the water, the bucket at him, and the water went everywhere, stairs got wet, and then uh, caused him to lose his footing and kind of slip and fall. And that's why, like, if you watch it, like, the waiter just kind of looks around because he doesn't want to stop. Like, he doesn't want to ruin the take, but he's kind of like, uh, what are we doing here? Um, but yeah, I can see that. Uh... He goes, gets in a cab, and this is where we meet David Johansson. Ghost of Christmas Past. Uh, what'd you think of the Ghost of Christmas Past? The Bronx, New York type cab driver. I couldn't stop staring at his teeth. He had like these disgusting yeah, things on his teeth. They were horrible, horrible teeth. Yeah, yikes. Um, this guy looks so familiar. I can't figure out where I know him from, though. Chomping on the cigar. He did a so he's like I said he's got two names he, he's David uh -huh. Johansson and then uh, Buster Poindexter right Buster Poindexter um, he's uh he's he's an actor and a singer he's done this song um one of I'm trying to think of his big song um I I don't know the name I'm trying to find it but it's uh like hot 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 Yes. Yep. Um, so, like that was that was a, a big thing he did. He like that was one of his big songs. Um, I'm trying. I'm trying to. I'm trying to look at his uh, his movie performance. See where he would have 
seen him, but I'm not seeing much. Yeah, that's what I was looking at, and I was like, oh, maybe I just maybe he looks like somebody else that I know. He just kind of looked familiar. Uh, let it ride. He was in Mister Nanny, Car Fifty Four. Where are you? Um, all of my favorite movies. Yeah, Tales from the Dark Side of the movie, which is really great. Um, he's done some voice work. Um, yeah, apparently, uh, apparently, his bandmate in one of his bands. Uh, was highly upset at how much screen time he got in this and kind of made him a bigger star. And apparently he uh, tried to off himself. Jeez. After that, he was not happy with it. Yeah. But uh, I like his introduction, though, of like, I'm the ghost uh, chomping on the cigar there and takes him back to his, uh, takes him back to his childhood. Um. He's mm-hmm. driving along. He's like, you know, where are we? Not where are we, when are we? So he's a kid in the 50s. Um, and as with most Bill Murray movies, he gets like his brothers in there. So Brian Doyle Murray plays like his dad. Um, I like the lineup. Oh, my his dad other must not brothers have put in up it a too. Christmas lights yet. Yeah. My dad must not have put up a Christmas lights yet. It's Christmas Eve, Frank. I, I, I like the part where he's like, I get it. You're going to show me my my mom and dad and my family. And I'm supposed to get all emotional. It's not going to work. He's like, that's the same thing a Toad of the Horn said. As soon <laughs> yeah. as he saw his mom, Niagara Falls. <laughs> uh, so dad comes home. One of those typical 50s family things. Of, he works all day. He's a butcher, apparently. Brought him home like five pounds of veal, even though... Young Francis wanted a choo-choo train. Didn't get a choo-choo. Got five pounds of veal instead. The um, best gift, yeah. His, his mom's sitting there in the, on the chair, pregnant with his younger brother, smoking like crazy, because it's the 50s and those things happened. Yeah, yeah. How life was. Yeah, I guess back then uh, they we, didn't we, know, right? Well, they probably did, but it was, it, it was just... I hate even saying this. It was a different time. They didn't care. People didn't care. Uh, yeah, he sees his mom. The waterworks shoot up. You know, Niagara Falls, Frankie, baby. Uh, so he uh, gets back in the cab, shoots him later to where he starts working at the, the network. And he's in the middle of a Christmas party in the 60s. Uh, which, yeah, this is typically the most 60s Christmas party I can ever imagine. I can just imagine the rampant sexual harassment that is going on at this Christmas party. Oh, well, yeah, yeah. As have, we're watching it. You have one of them doing, uh, just taking scans of her undergarments and handing it out. Photo Photocopies of her butt. People used to do that. That was a thing back in the day. You couldn't you couldn't send people dirty selfies or dirty pictures. You actually either had to take pictures or take photocopies of your butt. Um, man, those were the days. Those were the days. Uh, we got some other stuff that probably wouldn't be allowed today. Talking, uh, she asked him if she wanted to go get some Chinese food, which I absolutely love. Ah, oh, you can't eat that stuff, man. They've been putting 
dogs and cats in the chow mein of egg for young. Yeah, yikes. Once again, even though that had been disproven when this movie came out in the 80s, but that was a very common thought in the 60s. And that it is still something, something that people say, by the way, too. Yeah, it is It is a, a weird belief that people have. Uh, but this is where we get introduced to Karen Allen's character. Uh, as he leaves uh, the party, because he's not a festive person, he's walking down the street. She walks out a door and hits him with a door. Mm-hmm. Bam. Right in the head. Uh, and this, I guess, is what the kids would call a meat cute. Um, this is something I think that is um, an underrated part of Bill Murray's acting is how good he is at these type of scenes. Um, like when I think of Ghostbusters and him Sigourney Weaver in this one, like it, it, they were genuinely good chemistry, good acting with the, you know, having the um, him getting hit. And when he says a line, like, you know, do you walk on this street a lot? Cause if so, I can cross the street, you know, like, uh, that type of stuff. Apparently, He's really he had this. he had great chemistry with Scarlett Johansson and Lost in Translation as well. I've never mm. seen that. You haven't seen it either. That's another. That's another one that apparently people are like, man, the, the chemistry between the two of them like worked really well, which is why people are still debating, trying to figure out what was said at the end of that movie between the two of them. Um. So, yeah, like the kids would call this a meet cute, I guess, right? Um, between just the scene and their acting and their chemistry and the music, you can kind of tell there's an attraction, there's a chemistry between the two of them, and it, it, it fits really well. Um, so this is when did when did she appear in Indiana Jones? Eighty four. Uh, when was it? So this is what right. what is she? Did she Actually, do no, that may have been eighty two. That may have been eighty two. Hold on. Did she do um. anything between? Eighty four was the uh, Temple of Doom. So Raiders of the Lost Raiders Ark is what 82? she was in. Eighty, um, eighty one. Yeah, eighty one. Uh, so Karen Allen, what did she do during this time? Uh, yeah, she had a few movies in between Raiders and Scrooged, um, including I never heard of like Shoot the Moon, Split Image. Until Never September, Starman, Terminus, The Glass Menagerie, Backfire, and then Scrooged. Uh, and then, you know, she'll uh, go back and be in Indiana Jones in 2008 and 2023. But, uh, yeah. this is She's one of those actresses, too, that, like, I don't know what happened to her. She just kind of, like, would pop in and out, but she didn't do it. I don't know if it was personal reasons or... She wasn't getting cast, but she was very good in what she did, and then you just wouldn't see her for a while. Yeah, um, again, I think it's the unfortunate what what they what Hollywood kind of does is you know that they kind of cast some of these people aside when they have a newer, younger person. You were just talking about you know Bill Murray and uh, Scarlett Johansson having a movie together. Uh, you know, Bill Murray could be really way older and still get those type of roles while women would usually get um kind of more cast aside like you don't get that many older women having a role with like a young a young man yeah 
so we fast forward. They're apparently together now. They're living in a nice little apartment in New York City. Um, she's smoking a doobie in the in the bathtub. Smoking a joint in the bathtub. Um, they got a little Christmas tree up. Their fam, uh, her character's family traditions. They get to open one present on Christmas Eve and they say the rest of the next day. That's mine, by the um, way, too. Uh, we we have a I, similar. I've known tradition. some people in families that do that. Um, I, which which I get if you got if you got a lot of stuff under there, you don't have much. I, get, I was just watching I, I something else that. too where they mentioned that, so it is definitely like a more common thing. Um, this is also a thing that will predate you, and maybe some of our listeners. I don't know, unless you're my age. He gets her a, a set of Ginsu knives. You guys don't know about the Ginsu knife phenomenon. I've heard of this it, was, and I've heard the commercials and all that kind of stuff, where they like cutting through shoes and all that kind of stuff. Tin can. They, would, they could cut a tin can. Mm-hmm. There were these Japanese knives that could cut a tin can. And the thing is, like, so this was probably like at the dawn of infomercials. This was one of the first infomercials I ever really remember. Or stuff from like the Home Shopping Network. Like, these were a big deal, though. Like, these were a huge deal. So. Yeah, seeing it nowadays, people are like, yeah, you can buy just knives anywhere. Like, yeah, but the, the, these Ginso knives were, were a hot iron. They were a special deal. Um, I kind of agree with him in the nas- this aspect of I've never never been into a woman enough to buy her seven sharp knives before. <laughs> yeah, that was a good line. Like, I, I gotta, if I'm gonna buy you a bunch of sharp knives, I gotta be really into it. This, this relationship is going places. Um, she gets him a, a copy of the Kama Sutra. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go into detail on that. Uh, you have to look that one up if you don't know what the Kama Sutra is on your own. Um, take go ahead, take your time, take care of that one yourself. Uh, then we get pushed a little forward even more, and this is where he's playing. Uh, I forget the dog's name. He's playing the dog in a TV show, and character after my own heart. There's a guy there as a mailman. Um. So he's, he's he's playing a dog uh, on the show, and uh, president of the network is there. They, they take a break because they're filming it in front of a live studio audience for a commercial break. He takes a break. He's talking with the, the network president. Um, come to find out, uh, it's Christmas Eve again, and uh, the network's president's wife happens to be out of town. Imagine that. Talk about the rampant sexual harassment again. And is, you know, oh, it's just going to be me and you, him and his secretary, or his executive assistant, as they're now called, um, are going to be having dinner alone. So he invites Frank and his girl. But they already have plans with their best friend. Um, which this causes a, this causes a disagreement between Frank and his, his, uh, Karen Allen. And it causes them to split up. Now, I can understand both aspects of this, but let's say you, if, if let's say you were, you are Frank, you're, you're trying to fight for the show. You're playing this dude in the dog suit. And like you said, the, the president of the network isn't really, either he's going to make plans with you like weeks before, because you know, his schedule is going to be like really tight. So he's going to make plans like way out ahead of time and you've got to block it off or it's going to be last minute like this way. If he invites you out to dinner, what are you doing in that situation? I, as a non-career driven person, I would say I wouldn't go. Um, 
I, if I already had plans with somebody, I like, I like to stick with the plans I already have. Um, I, also, I think I'd be a little awkward with the prospect of her taking, of him taking this, uh, other girl as his date instead of, you know, his spouse who is out of town. You like, you already kind of know the implication there, but. I'm pretty sure everybody knew that they had a thing going on already. Yeah, yeah, right. probably. I don't but think I that think was I'm a more, well-kept secret. I think I'm more complicit. It'd make you uncomfortable, though. Yeah. I'm probably more complicit if I'm partaking in that dinner as well, I feel like. So, um, I don't know. I, I I never really got the whole, like, the person that's really driven by their career and, like, that they'll kind of, what we see him do here, kind of, like, torch his personal life for it. Um to me, I care more about like my home life than I do like my work life. I can understand that completely, one hundred percent. As someone myself who has been and is a workaholic and is trying to wean myself of that a bit and trying to get better into having more of a, of a work life balance, as they now call it, um, the work life balance wasn't really something that was going on in the eighties and nineties, and and the 2000s um i think honestly i don't I, I can't say honestly what i would do i think it would be a tough choice because i can't see both aspects of you did make plans and like to, to cancel the last minute like that yeah that that because especially you know if you're going over to their place like they're probably making dinner right so there, 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 there's probably a lot of stuff going on into it. There's probably going to be gift-giving exchange and various other things. And festive times and all that other great stuff. Yeah, it's Christmas Eve. And she says they're their best friends. And, and, and yeah, like, like that that's the part that gets me. But at the same time, like I said, I can understand, like, you might get one shot at this with, with like, the network president like that. And especially if you turn them down, like, you may never get that shot again. And all of a sudden, it's one of those aspects of, uh, especially network TV like that, when it comes time for ratings, and they got to look at their stuff for the next season. You know, hey, Scruffy the Dog or whatever his name is. Uh, the show lost a couple percentage points in viewers. Eh, maybe we find another, maybe we find another uh, kids TV show replacement for that. Um, so like I, I don't know what I would do. I'll be honest. I, I'd be torn. I would be torn. But I do know this: you can't stand them up. Either you got to tell them you're going or not going. You can't be like, "Oh, we'll be there," and then not show up because then you're definitely yeah. Scared. Politely decline when they offer it. You should know what plans you have, or at least say, "Let me talk it over and get back to you," and then kind of give them a call or find them and say, "Sorry, we can't go." Well, I don't know if you're giving him a call. This is '88. There's no. Uh, well, this is. That's he might a, have a phone the 70s. at '70s. There's no home, or I mean, he might have a. Uh, I don't know. I, it depends on when car phone. This is the out, '70s. Right? So I don't think. There's, uh, yeah. But um, it's just his office, so you might leave yeah. a message with the secretary that would have to get back to him. That's about it. Yeah. Um. But like I said, this this uh, this causes him to uh, break up. It causes him. to they, they break up um and uh you know all of a sudden he finds himself back in modern times the uh 
his phone is dialed automatically. Obviously, the ghostesses are doing these things for him. And uh, calls the place she works at this outreach for homeless people and various things. Um, so he leaves her a message. Uh, we cut to the next day. He's there watching some more dress rehearsals and stuff for, uh, I think it's not Christmas Eve, so he's watching dress rehearsals, seeing things that are going on. Um, his smarmy guy that is, is there is, is helping him. Um, Played by John Glover. Helping him. Yeah. I wanted to shout so, John Glover out here because uh, I love him. He played Lionel Luther in Smallville. It's very odd. Yes seeing him without facial hair. He's also a former teacher and alumni at my college, Towson University. So just want to shout him out. But here he is in all his glory of Lionel Luther. And it was really weird seeing him young with shorter hair and no facial hair. Great actor. Great character actor. And he, uh, like I said, he has done a lot of uh, like, like bad guys and like evil smarmy guys and stuff like that. He plays those things really well. I hope in real life he's a he's a good dude. He's not like that, but yes, yeah, so I'm not saying very he's, nice. I don't know, but it's just one of those. Like I said, he plays those those roles really well. Maybe he just enjoys playing those roles. I think I don't know. I hope that's the case. Um. So, uh, eventually, uh, they go to a dinner break. Um. Or, uh, so this is where uh, Karen Allen's character, um shows up to the set right uh this is where we we see she calls him lumpy on set and uh great line of of the guy who's talking about stapling the the uh, antlers to the mouse excuse me lumpy around here for folks call me mr cross i don't know why that tickled me just did um but uh we see uh you know, she has some, some, she's talking with him there. Um, so she came down to see him because she was worried about him after his phone call the night before because he was kind of mad and rambling and he doesn't really want to say he saw ghosts because people are going to think he's crazy. But understandable. So, uh, you know, eventually, uh, she leaves. Um, he's, 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 you know, some other things happen. He meets the ghost of Christmas present. Played by the only word I can use to describe this person is delightful. Played by the delightful Carol King. Um, you might remember her from The Princess Bride. She was the she played mm-hmm. Billy Crystal's character's wife in The Princess Bride. She's done a ton of other things. And like I said, the I, she's so great, but the only word I can use to describe her is just delightful. She is just awesome. Especially in this role. The way she talks in this reminds me of Moaning Myrtle from Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. Um, she is, she takes no crap from Bill Murray's character, from Mr. Cross here. Um, she punches him, she kicks him in the uh, groin. Uh, she hits him with a toaster. Afterwards, might be the greatest line in the movie. He says, the bitch hit me with a toaster. Once again, don't know why that tickled me, but it just did. Um, he, uh, 
she actually injured him for real. Uh, when she grabbed his lip, she tore it so badly. Filming was halted for several days. Wow. Um, so I th- this might have, I heard this kind of contributed to maybe some of Bill Murray's uh, issues on, on the set. I don't know. Which isn't getting injured. Nobody's going to get hurt. So she's the ghost of Christmas present. She takes him to Harlem to see his, his secretary where, uh, after he gave his, his secretary a towel as her Christmas bonus, um, which the family was kind of relying on, um, cause they, they obviously don't make very much money. Um, she, you know, she, the, the family asks, I think it's a young Regina Hall is in the role of her daughter. Uh, she tells her, uh, the family asks, like, did you get your bonus? And, you know, she says, I'm drying my hair with it. Um, she has a, a mm-hmm. young son who's mute, who saw his dad killed in front of him a few years before. That was a dark storyline, wasn't it? It was. Like, I did not see that one coming when I first watched it. Like, wow. But, uh, which I can understand. Like, that can, that can definitely cause some trauma. And, uh, psychological and psychiatric help was not at its peak in the 80s. So they probably just told him, oh, he's a kid. He'll snap out of it. Man up. Grow up. You know, they probably told him stuff like that. Um, They couldn't really figure out why he was mute or what, how to help him process his trauma as they would do it today. Um, So unfortunately, the family was turning him into a Christmas tree. But even though the family didn't have much, typical Christmas story, even though the family didn't have much, they had each other and they were making the best of a bad situation, right? Um, this is where they brought up, like we said earlier, uh, her dad or her, her husband, his dad was killed in front of him. So she wore, she was wearing uh, black for a year because she was going through mourning and Bill Murray didn't even pay attention. Mr. Cross, Cross was just like, oh, I thought she was just in the black. It was going around. Mm-hmm. Um, the ghost kind of kind of pulls his ear, gives him a couple little tugs and things. Um, come to find out, yeah, he owes her a raise, and, and he's gonna try and do better by her. Um, we go to his brother's place, so we can see his brother, his wife, his brother's wife, his brother's friends. He should be there, but he's not. And, you know, his wife, his brother's wife asks him, you invite him every year, and he says no. When are you going to learn? He's got the best line. My brother, never. Which, I get, I can kind of understand. You know, you're always going to be there for your brother. So even though he keeps telling you down, you'll still help him out if you can. They're playing Trivial Pursuit, one of my favorite games. Love that game. Did you know any of the answers to the questions that they asked? Yes, I knew the Gilligan's Island one. What was the other question? What musical instrument did Lurch play in the Adam? No, I did not know the harpsichord. Harpsichord, yeah. And yeah, what what was the name of the ship that brought them all to Gilligan's Island? I literally said out loud, SS Minnow. SS Minnow, yeah. I think I did too the first time I saw it. They're like, Mackerel? Mako? We're going to go with Mackerel. I was like, come on. Especially back uh, then, I feel like Gilligan was probably in reruns all the time, like it was when I grew up. So, like, come on. It was in syndication, yeah. It was on, like, TBS and, and all these other shows. And 
you know, you, it might be one of those that come on at like 10 o'clock at night before the news or after the news. Or like, it was on Nick at night a lot when I was growing up. Um, and then also like, I guess maybe Nickelodeon, like kind of, no, TV land during the day. So like, I would watch it at Nick at night. And then the next morning, I would watch other episodes on TV land, like right before or right after Happy Days would be... This might be Me watching it, Gilligan's it, Island. It might also have been one of those ones. So like in the mornings back then you would, they would have like your kids cartoons and your kids shows. Right. Mm-hmm. So I used to watch, I used to watch a bunch of those, especially like, and then days I was off. So in between like maybe like nine o'clock and like 12 o'clock. So like at 12 o'clock, like the news would come on. Yeah. And then like one o'clock would be, uh, like one o'clock would be your soap opera. But between like nine and twelve, there would be a hodgepodge of weird stuff. So you might get like Gilligan's Island. You might get a game show like Win, Lose, or Draw, hosted by Vicky Lawrence Schultz. Or you might get uh, usually around like eleven o'clock, probably when like The Price is Right would come on. That was always mm-hmm. a staple too. But you would you would get like weird shows like that. Mama's Family would come on. Oh, I love Mama's um, Family. Yeah. You reruns of Gilligan's Island or like Happy Days and you know stuff like that. I love Lucy would you know maybe have thirty yeah. minutes or an hour block, depending on what what channel you were watching. Then you would get to your cable ones and like you said, TV Land and, and you know uh, stuff like that. Usually Nickelodeon had normal cartoons and then like from nine to ten o'clock, that's when like their version of uh, Sesame Street would come on. I think it was called like Pinwheel or something. So they would have educational stuff for kids that were like preschool age kids who were too young to go to school. But they had like stuff for like toddlers and things at that age. So yeah, it was just, just, I don't know why I remember like the TV viewing habits of the 1980s and 90s, but I do. Uh, so yeah, she, she hits him with a toaster. Um, at, at some point, uh, we also find out Bill Murray ends up going down to the shelter where Karen Allen's character works, right? He goes in there babbling. Um, he ends up, uh, as as it looks like they might be getting back together, they kind of split up again uh, because he makes some comments to her volunteer assistants because they don't have fuses in the fuse box that the, I guess, contractors owned and drop off. And the A&P, which was a grocery store back in the day, for those of you who don't know, uh, I don't know what it stood for, but it was a pretty popular grocery store back in the day. Um, before we had all the conglomerates of Kroger and Walmart and various other things now. Didn't drop off the turkeys for the show. So uh, he gives her the comment of, scrape them off, Claire. You want to save someone, save yourself. Um, she kind of comes back to bite them later. So A&P stands for Great Atlantic and Pacific Tea Company. And it was a chain of grocery stores that ran from 1859 to 2015. Wow. Who did it get bought out by? Did it just go out of business or did it get bought out by somebody? It, it says defunct. Let's see if I can. Yeah, after two bankruptcies, they closed their doors in oh, 2015. Okay. I was going to say, I can see Kroger or somebody buying them up. Unfortunately. In 1930, Man, they were was- the largest retailer and they reached two point nine billion in sales, which would be fifty billion today. Eighteen fifty nine. Jesus. 
We used to be a real country back in the day. <laughs> oh, they acquired Pathmark in 2007. My parents' first jobs were both at Pathmark grocery store. Now I'm remembering like Price Chopper and various things. Uh, so there we meet some uh, some of the residents of uh, we also met some of the residents of the shelter there um, who think who think he is someone from the 70s or 60s or 70s one of the characters there. Um, when uh, Mr. Cross is, comes to after he gets hit with the toaster He's in, uh, like a, he's underground in New York City, so like a sewer grate kind of thing. And unfortunately, one of the residents froze to death because he didn't stay at the shelter. And we kind of start seeing. That was a quick freezing would, to death, wasn't it? Like he was completely frozen. Yeah. Just like hours later. Solid. Not only that, but like icicles coming off of him and everything. Yeah. Like, turned blue. But this is also the, the Ghost of Christmas Present is where we see some of the changes starting to happen to the Scrooge character, right? And this is the only time he ever ever says the great, you know, bah humbug. He says it to, to Karen Allen's character. Which I think you gotta have in every Ebenezer Scrooge uh, show. Just yes, and that. also you could say this is our fifth ghost. He does show up at the final scene as well. So he could be ghost number five. If yeah. you want to ask how many ghosts. For this, for this version. For this version. Yes, yeah. Most definitely. So, uh, but we start seeing humanity. We started seeing some humanity when he realized he wasn't treating his secretary the greatest. Uh, oh, also, by the way, his secretary didn't send his brother the, the towel like he wanted her to. He sent her the top of the line VCR, right? We sent his brother the top of the line VCR. Um, and he kind of softens up a little bit and says he can keep the VCR. Um, he's kind of softy for his brother. Um, and then he starts going a little soft where, you know, so the homeless guy tells him, you know, why don't you just stay in the shelter? You'd have been warm. You'd have food. And uh, you kind of see some humanity crawling back into him. So what do you think of his evolution as we're kind of going along? Um, I mean, pretty typical of the Scrooge character, right? Uh, as we go through here, um, I would say sometimes it worked for me. Sometimes it didn't like he started having some good growth in the past one. Right. But then like, again, he goes to visit, uh, Karen Allen at the shelter and then immediately regresses again. Um, before the uh yeah, before like the present. It didn't take long at all. Yeah, yeah. Um so that was uh, a little frustrating, but I think overall I liked that he was you know, talking to the homeless man and saying things like, "Yeah, why didn't you stay in the shelter? You would have been warm, you would have had food, you know, you would have you were safe there." Um but uh the so the brother keeping the VCR thing, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm glad he let him keep it because <laughs> it'd be really dick move to remove a, a gift like that from your brother after the mix up. Um, especially when his brother gives him a really nice gift of the picture of the two of them and, you know, the nice note on it and stuff. And, you know, his brother really does care for him and you know, forgives a lot of his mistakes. Yeah, um, 
you know, he makes his way back to his office. This is where we get Bob Cathcoldwaite returns with, uh, or he gets, he gets there. He, he sees some, you know, he's on set. He sees some stuff. Um, he, he crashes through the door, which ends, actually ends up leading onto the set. So he kind of gets kicked out of his own production as they're doing like the final dress rehearsals, mm-hmm. right? Um, by, uh, I forget the actor's name. I'm sorry. John Glover. not working right now. Yeah. He gets kicked out by him and uh, sent up, you know, to just kind of go oversee things because there's a lot going on. So he just kind of gets to see everything from a distance. Um, you go to the elevator. He sees what he thinks is a ghost of Christmas pre- uh, future, right? But it's just it's just the ghost of Christmas future for the production that they are putting on yes. the show, right? Um which I, I like what they did there with that one because he sees him and he realizes immediately who it is and he starts freaking out. And then he, re- and then, you know, once they kind of break it down to him, you know, he's like, Oh, great. you know, talks about how great the, you know, the, uh, the costume is and everything. That guy's going places. Goes up to his, uh, he ends up going up to his office. He's, you can tell he's shaking up because he's just, he's just drinking nothing but vodka and like a drop of tab, mm-hmm. which I don't even think they make anymore. Spilling your tab all over the place. He opens up the present from his brother, which, like you said, it's a handmade picture frame with this old picture of him from when they were kids. Nice little signed note to it, you know, a nice little signed note on the picture and everything. Uh, Christmas Future tries to make an appearance to grab him, but uh, Bobcat Goldway, uh, Elliot Loudermilk, there makes uh, makes his appearance, his return. So let's, let's talk about uh, Elliot here. He's going through some things this day. He's fired. He's tossed out the building. His stuff in a little box, like we always see, right? Yep. He goes to give blood. He gets twenty five bucks for blood, or twenty bucks or whatever. Which I don't know if they still pay you for blood. I don't know if they did back then either. But um, there's twenty bucks for blood. Uh, wife left him. He pet is well. He he grabs uh, he grabs uh, a bottle of something. His first bottle of something. He passes out from the loss of blood. He grabs another bottle of something. He's trying to drink later. Our cab driver, the ghost of Christmas peasant, splashes uh, takes it out of his hand. Right, he gets splashed on a couple times in the freezing cold New York City. His wife leaves him, leaves him, takes his little baby girl, he said. You've been having a pretty rough day. What did you think of Elliot here? Uh, Elliot really went off the tracks uh, pretty quickly here. Uh, I liked him in the first scene, and then he kind of becomes more and more like the crazy character they'll cut away to and see what's going on with him, some bad stuff going on with him. Like how he, he, he gets, becomes you more know, Bobcat Goldweight by the minute. Yeah, covers gets covered with trash, and then you know we have uh, Frank walk right by him while he's going to to, to the shelter and stuff. And um, th- I don't know the scene with the gun uh, in the offices. A little, it really didn't really work for me. Um, how fast he goes in like the day or the day, right? It's like one day, one and a half days, right? Uh, that he's been fired. That. Um, he really just goes through so much to the point of 
some drastic changes, him coming right back in with a gun um, to, to try to kill Frank here. This is this is a perfect place for the one of my favorite lines from a movie of all time, from Anchorman. Boy, that escalated quickly. Yeah, true. It got out of hand really fast. It jumped up a notch. It did, didn't it? All we were missing is Brick killing a guy. But uh, yeah, that that, that escalated. Then he ends up with a shotgun somehow. I'm yeah, not sure I thought how, we but yeah, but he just comes in with it. It is America. I mean, he probably. Bought one at a gun show loophole or something. Well, honestly, a lot of those loopholes are only for rifles and pistols. If it's for certain rifles and pistols, if it's like a shotgun or like a hunting rifle or something, you don't necessarily, there's a lot of places there's not a waiting range. Usually it's only for a handgun or something like that. Or if you're trying to buy like a high power rifle that, that there's waiting limits and have to do background checks. Or at least it used to be. I don't know if it still is, because that was that was one of the things I had to I had to learn some stuff on when I was a manager at Walmart. We didn't sell guns at our WalMarts in California, but we sold ammo. And we didn't like you had to get special background checks to sell ammo. But there was also a thing because in certain states, like I said, you can sell shotguns or various things that you use for hunting or for other purposes, or you can sell basic rifles. But you couldn't sell like an AR-15 or something like that without a background check, or pistols like they needed a background check. So there was a whole waiting period and so on and so forth. But just for like a regular shotgun, yeah, dudes could just go in and grab them off the shelf and walk out with them. Same thing with ammo. But yeah. when you bought ammo, like you had, to, you can only buy so much ammo, and yet there was names. You had to go into databases. That's why it was a whole weird thing, and only certain people could sell ammo. So on and so forth. But uh, yeah, so I don't know. It might not have been a loophole. That might have just been he was able to just go to some pawn shop and buy a shotgun and walk out. Because mm-hmm. sure, why not? It's probably still that way, unfortunately. Um, destroys poor Frank's Emmys. Emmys just blown the smithereens. Um, yeah, not gonna lie there. I just kind of wanted to say smithereens. Uh, um. Good, good to at least take out the Emmys because I mean, uh, he needs to lose something in this <laughs> for his sins. I feel like so. Yeah, um, you know he it's a double barrel shotgun, so he can only shoot two shots at a time. So he's got to like put two in, load, shoot his two shots. You know, then empty it. Empty the two shells, load his next two rounds. So there's time in there. I don't understand. I get it for the story purposes. Why, after he shoots his first two and, and you know, Francis decides to run by him, he didn't just like kind of like tackle him and try and like stop him from trying to shoot him again. Instead mm-hmm. of just like run to the next office and, and you know. But uh, office is destroyed, right? Somebody's going to have to answer for that the next day, like. You got offices destroyed, computer equipment, various things. Like, yeah. There's going to be some police reports involved. Uh, he finally makes it to the elevator. He manages to get on the elevator where we're introduced to the ghost of Christmas future. Um, this is probably one of the things that helped with their makeup department for the costume there for the, uh, the ghost. With, I guess, some trapped souls in his stomach or something. I don't know. 
not sure what that was. Yeah, that was weird. I've never seen a, a, a ghost of Christmas future having um, just like this random, like open up the coat and there's like three ghouls hanging out in his gut. <laughs> it, yeah, it's basically the Grim Reaper. And then, like I said, it's ghouls or like three spirits. I don't know. It freaked, that freaked me out as a kid when I saw this first time. That was, that was kind of freaky. Not gonna lie. Like 10 yeah, it freaked me out now, and I'm 32. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, he takes him into the future. Uh, he doesn't believe anything's going to work. So we first go back to his secretary. We first go to his secretary, um, who's at a mental, or mental hospital. Her son is still mute, still not talking. And he's kind of, this is just kind of what they used to do to people back in the day. Uh, they would just take them and throw them in a padded room. And that's just kind of what they would do to people who they didn't know what was wrong with. So, because we see she's there visiting them, visiting hours over. So she leaves. Um, he kind of realizes, like, man, we got to do something about him. Apparently, he knows, like, the head of pediatrics at, like, NYU or something. So he's going to try and get him and... You know, this can be fixed, he says. Like, we, we can fix this, you know. Um, he meets uh, Karen Allen again. I don't know what was up with her makeup on this one. This was, she was just pale faced, just. Yeah, they try to make her look real, like, I guess, uh, <sighs> rich, I guess. She's, like, supposed to be at this point where she's, like, um, like she took his advice and she's over helping people and they, you know, really load her up with like the white face, you know, like, I don't know what that's yeah, called. They powdered like powder her face. face. Yeah. And, and then they had like the deep red lipstick. So it contrasts out, which I mean, I get, I can kind of, it was like Joker. It, it stands out. Yeah. It stands out, but you know, you know, she, there's some kids begging for money while her and her rich friends are having brunch. I'm imagining. You know, she brings the waiter over, has him shoo him away. You know, she brings up, someone told me a long time ago, scrape him off, Claire. You want to save someone, save yourself. Um, and then uh, that kind of hits him hard because he's like, that was a low blow. So he's kind of getting affected more and more. And uh, we go, walks out, see a casket in front of a furnace, and we see his brother's wife. So he's assuming it's his baby brother, which is going to hit anybody hard. And you see his baby brother walks up and he's like, wait, you know, what, what, what's going on here? What is this? And then it kind of, he goes up to the coffin and kind of hits him. It's him. And I think when, as he's, cause they're cremating him, I think they were showing he wasn't liked enough that nobody but his brother and his brother's wife attended his, his services. It was just those two. Yeah, kind of odd that, he, like, th this is one of the things I had a question about. So he knows, all right, so Scrooge exists in this universe, right? Like, they've, the Christmas Carol, they've watched it. Yeah, he knows the story of Ebenezer. He knows the story. And he's still shocked that it's his funeral at the end here? <laughs> yeah, I never thought of that until you just said that. And like I said, I've been watching this movie for years. Um, yeah, that's a weird one. But at the same time, I can understand too, like. It's the ego. It's the ego thinking if it was him, more people would have showed up, right? Like, it, it's. Maybe, maybe that's it. Like, if it's his funeral because mm -hmm. he's this massive TV president, he's this titan of industry, 
even if it's just out of pure respect for his position, there would be all these other people there who would, because they, they talked about, you know, some of the things he did and, you know, various stuff like that. And I'm sure he's made strides in television and changed things. So, yeah, like, not saying he's liked or disliked, but, like, I can imagine if Bob Iger, whenever Bob Iger passes away, right, there still would be people who would show it. Yeah, like, yeah. I don't know people's opinion of him. I don't think he's very popular at some points, but I, I don't know much about that world. You know more about it than I do. Way more um, popular before the second stint here, but he's been kind of... Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, a, now, I don't hand, know. If, but... uh... um, yeah. Um, one, another Steve question Jobs I have is another one. For... Yeah, another question I have for you about just the Christmas Carol as a whole. Yeah. Does the Ghost of Christmas Future show the truth or do they show the worst possible future? Because I, I just can't see Karen Allen's character doing that much of a 180 just because he dies or whatever either. So like uh, in that case, I'm kind of like, um, you know, where she's helping people made her whole mission. And then now she's like laughing at them and telling them to go away. So like in my sense, I feel like they always, the, the ghost of Christmas future is a little liar. I think in, in every Christmas Carol, I think that they're kind of like showing you what they need you to see for you to change. I don't think they're actually showing you the true future. I'll agree with that last point. I think they're showing you what is needed for you to change, but I will, I'll, I'll say, I think they're showing, yeah, they're showing the possibility of not that this is going to happen, but if you don't change, this is what is capable of happening. And yeah, you need to show him like the worst possible scenario. Um, and yeah, this is kind of where he he freaks out. He ends up in the coffin, being you know being burned. He's like, I don't want to be burned, you know, saving Jimmy, or, you know, his brother's name and stuff like that. He gets a little emotional there, um, but he comes to, and it's it's he comes to realizes he still has time to change his ways, right? Um. So he's happy. We get hallelujah. He's, he's, he gets to, he's going to change his ways. But he came out of the elevator right back into Elliot Loudermilk. Who, but because he's crazy Bill Murray, doing crazy Bill Murray things kind of takes the power away from Elliot Loudermilk with a shotgun because he has no clue what the hell is going on. Um, and he agrees to hire him back and give him double his salary, give him a new position, blah, 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 on the condition that he takes a shower because he's right because I guess he's, he just had some rough days and hadn't bathed, you know, looking kind of rough there, which you get. Um, probably the scariest moment of this whole thing, you're thrown into an elevator by a crazed Bill Murray who picks up a shotgun and says, we're going to have some fun. <laughs> like that that is that like you can make a horror movie based off of that alone um and it kind of did because they're there's it shows them that they're doing their live the christmas carol version Ebenezer scrooge has just woken up and he's gonna change his ways in the live version and he asks a young boy to get him the biggest goose in all of london he throws this coin down there there was a coin down the thing, and that's where he's interrupted by Francis Cross. 
who's seen the error of his ways and he kind of starts having a heart to heart with the audience and talking about who would who would program a live show on Christmas Eve? Only you would, Frank. And, you know, he brings up, you know, the whole thing about how a week ago you'd had him fired. All this other stuff. Uh, we see his boss at home, who his family, him and his wife have like 15 cats. What is going on there? Cat ladies, I guess. Um, I don't even know if it was a cat lady. It might have been him, too. Yeah, maybe. Um, so, so it's his boss, but he's the president of the network. So what la- what label is this guy? Well, so I would say... Like CEO he might be of the, the president parent of the company, company or something? That, yeah, so like... Have you ever seen uh, 30 Rock? Yes, yeah. So you know how, and in, in, in it was true in 30 Rock, at one point NBC was owned by General Electric. But I think Alan, Alec Baldwin's character was mm-hmm. the president of NBC, but he still had bosses at like General Electric he had to answer to. So maybe it's a situation like that. Yeah, like the pay, like the president of ABC, but he still like he still has to answer to Disney. Um, whoever the president of ESPN is still has to answer to Disney. Iger, you know? yeah. Feige still has to answer to I, Bob Iger, stuff right? Like that. Um. Maybe, so maybe it's a situation like that. I never thought of that until you said that either. Once again, I've watched this movie many years. And these things have slipped my mind. Uh, he's not happy with what's going on. Uh, Elliot Loudermilk is in the control room. He starts tying, he ties uh, what's the name up. Tells him he's a bud munch. And never had feelings like that for a man before. Yeah, so let's just add homophobia into the into the things that don't age well into the movie. <laughs> right? Um... But, you know, Francis Cross is down there and he's talking about he changed his ways and, he's, you know, he can. And I think the message at the end of this is great because, yeah, it's the same message from a lot of stuff from Christmas Carol. You can make a difference. You can change. But especially nowadays, and especially if you look at everything that's happened since the pandemic began, there's a there's a huge epidemic of like people being lonely. And, you know, it's it's. We talked about, you know, you can call up an old friend. You can call up an old army buddy, a college friend. You know, you can just call someone. And people may not realize it. That you reaching out, sending a simple text message or a call to somebody at this time of the year can make a huge difference. Like, it can truly, and I don't mean to put this weight on anybody, but you may not realize it. You may never know. It may truly make the difference between life and death for some people. Um, there's been plenty of people who've been who've been talked who've talked about being on the edge of of taking their own lives, and from somewhere out of nowhere, someone has decided to give them a call or send them a text or stop by their house just for whatever reason, and you know that 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 for whatever reason knocked them out of that funk. Um, so that 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 stuff can definitely be important. Um. He talks about how he's still in love with Karen, uh, Karen Allen's character. Um, he wants to get back into some stuff from the Kama Sutra, and he's sorry. She meets up with our cab driver, the ghost of Christmas past, who, you know, she, she gets, she goes outside, and how fast can you take me to the IVC building? I don't know what I would answer here when he says, what floor? Like, I, I don't know. I think I'm on drugs. Yeah, just the ground floor, please. <laughs> 
this is also before 9-11, so let's, let's, uh, um, let's not, not, let's not go take anything through buildings in, in New York City. Um, and we get our happy ending. Um, we also get, how far did you watch into the credits? Uh, I watched until they, like, the thing popped up to remove, which would have been once the screen went black and then the normal credits, not, like, I saw the so saw Bill the... Murray talking to the crowd, yeah. That was ad-lib as well. Oh, really? That was, uh, Frank trying to get the audience in the movie theater to participate was, was ad-lib by Bill Murray. And you can kind of, like, after I read that and then I'm watching it, I can kind of tell because you can see Alfred Woodard. You see people in the background, they're still kind of trying to, like, keep going because they know they're still filming, but Bill Murray's up there doing his thing. And I think she's talking, like I said, I think, uh, what was it? I just, ah, she just won an Academy Award. She was in 227. Uh, I can't remember her name. But, uh, she's talking to her daughter there from on screen. Yeah, I can't tell if she's just really talking or she's just lip syncing and singing, but you can tell they're kind of like, okay, can we, can we call cut here at some point? Um, yeah, uh, that's, that, that's a movie. Um, it's, uh, it's a regular Christmas time feature, right? A lot of critics have called an alternative to a traditional Christmas film. Um, some people have said it's ahead of its time, making it very making it relevant in the modern day, which uh, yeah, I think especially over the last couple of years, definitely been a very relevant film. Um, uh, Bill Murray turned down the lead roles in Rain Man, Big, and Cocktail to make this film. Have you seen I, any I of those? Yeah, I can't see him in Big. I really can't. Um, he definitely couldn't have been Tom Hanks in Big, which I assume is who he they would have had him in. Yeah, he definitely couldn't have been Tom Cruise in Cocktail. Like, I think you needed a kind of younger, good-looking actor for Cocktail. Yeah, what and I, do you I've think only they seen had him in, in Rain Man. I've only seen bits of Rain Man. I, I would think he was going to be the non-Rain Man, right? I don't know. I think maybe he could have... I mean, Dustin Hoffman Dustin Hoffman did fantastic in Rain Man. I guess he could have played that. I think he, he won an Academy Award for that role, I believe. But I don't think... I think I could have seen Bill Murray as that role, but I don't think I could have seen him as his brother in Tom Cruise's role. Mm-hmm. So that's one of those like maybe for one but not for the other. He also declined uh, opportunity to turn down uh, an appearance as a, as Carl Spackler and Caddyshack too. Um. So yeah, that was Scrooge. Like I said, this is so. IMDb, ten critic ratings. It's uh, it got a six point nine, or six point nine out of ten out of one hundred and ten thousand reviews. Metacritic, it's got a Metacritic score of thirty eight for fourteen critic reviews, but it's got a seven point eight for one hundred and fifteen audience reviews. And then for Rotten Tomatoes, 
Uh, 51 critic reviews and over 50,000 audience reviews. It's both rated at 71 percent. Hmm. Um. So would you, uh, as we added last week, would you buy this from like a five dollar bin? Or like an oh. on sale on Voodoo or something. Yeah, I forgot that we had this as a as an option. I like I forgot that this was added last week. Um, five dollars. Or how much? How much would you pay to to own this movie? What What's the most you would pay to own this movie? The most I would pay to own this movie. I'll go. I'll yeah. I'll go probably like four ninety nine. The five dollar bin at Walmart if they yeah. still had them. Yeah. I get that. I bought I bought this full price on DVD, so it's probably like a twenty dollars DVD. And actually, right, only twice because right. then I bought it on Blu-ray last year. Um, you have to upgrade, man. You always have to upgrade. That's what I say. If I have it on DVD, I want to get it on Blu-ray. If they, yeah, if they make a better copy of it, I want a better copy of it. Yeah. Uh, so for me, like I said, this is to me. There's only two versions of a Christmas Carol. There's the Muppet version, and there's this. Anything else, I don't really need in my life. Um, funny, funny thing I saw yesterday about the Muppets was, uh, what's the what's Michael Caine plays Ebenezer Scrooge in the Muppet Christmas Carol, and he looks like he can't be bothered acting, interacting with Muppets throughout the movie. <laughs> Meanwhile. In a Muppet Treasure Island. Who's the guy in that? Uh, oh man, I can't even think of his name now. Um, he's in Rocky Horror Picture Show. He's Tim Curry. Clue. Tim Curry plays, uh, what's his name? Plays the main character yes. in Muppet Treasure Island. He's acting like a Muppet the entire time. Mm-hmm. So, uh, for me, this is a five-star movie. Like I said, I, I'm a big dork. I watch this every year on Christmas. Um, along with uh, the, the the Dr. Seuss's How the Grinch Stole Christmas cartoon, the 30-minute version, and uh, I finished off my day or evening with uh, A Christmas Story just because I just love those movies. And like I said, I love this time of year, even though I hate the cold weather. Yeah, I saw Let's your see. post on Facebook about this, and I was going to ask you, but I think your post answered it. So you will watch this again on Christmas Day. Yeah, I can't not watch okay. this on Christmas Day. Like it's one of those, even though I've seen it now. Like it's Christmas Day, I'm still gonna. I'll probably make a big old breakfast and, and sit there in front of the TV and watch. Oh, now, shit. also, I wanted to shout this out on the Wikipedia page. It has this bit of trivia, but it's not sourced, so I don't want to say that this definitely happened, but I thought it's funny to shout this out. It says that filming began December 7th of 1987, and with Christmas approaching, Donner asked Paramount if the production could have Christmas Day off, but they refused, so he fired everybody, then rehired them the day after Christmas. The only reason I bring that up is because that scene where he says, who would have somebody you know, filming this live thing and working on Christmas Eve? Um... I wonder if that was some sort of veiled shot at Paramount, if this is a true story. And also it just goes to show you how these studio people are awful. But usually they do take breaks for the holidays. So I'm surprised that that they would have made them work on Christmas. But 
So I think I saw in the uh, IMDb on the trivia section, I, I saw that that as well. I think I saw that might have been a, a shot at, at Paramount or whoever mm-hmm. the production company was. Um, I will say, too, it might also depend on the union contracts at the time. So, like, we, you know, we just got out of a WGA and Actors Guild strike, right? And with those come renegotiated contracts of various things and so on and so forth. So, in 88, 87, 88, who knows what those contracts might have looked like. And the contracts might have stated they might have, they might not have had to give them a break for Christmas. I don't know. Right. Like, typically, I'd, I'd, I'd like to believe that most studios would give people at least a day, if not a couple of days off for Christmas, right? Or if they're not going to be off for Christmas because... Like the NBA does Christmas games, you know. You, I think there's a couple bowl games on Christmas. There are there and there are live events that happen on Christmas, so I would hope to believe that they're paid extraordinarily well for losing that time with their family on Christmas. Um. Yeah, I would so, like to think that's the case, but there's also the chance that maybe they're like, no, we need to, we don't want to delay this. We need to film this as soon as possible. So I could, mm-hmm. it's plausible. I'll say. To see that happen. So I will go ahead and give my rating. I have it as two and a half stars out of five. I went two. I thought you were going to give it two. Oh, okay. Okay. It was close. It was close between two and two and a half, I guess. <laughs> but um, yeah, there was just some things that didn't really work for me. Like, I don't know the next time I'll watch this. It'll probably be years from now. Like, I'm not going to itch to watch this again next year or anything. Um. Uh, the the wife like it. I didn't ask her, but I would say no. I don't think she did. Probably not. <laughs> um, I know she didn't like. I, I I'm pretty sure she didn't like Ghost of Christmas Future with the with the ghouls hanging out in the gut. Um, and uh, there was something else that she didn't like at the beginning. I know. Um. Because, she, oh, like, the, I think the eyeball and the drink she wasn't a fan of. She's not a big fan of that kind of stuff. Um, okay. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I just remember her saying, like, Bill Murray was a jerk in this, uh, which, is, you know, obviously the point. Um, but, yeah, the, like, the, the so the, the shotgun stuff didn't really work for me. There was some stuff that was a little uh, over the top more than I thought it would be. I thought this would be a little bit more grounded in a sense, you know, like not having like, um, like not having a guy just come in with a shotgun and then like be dancing around with Bill Murray about it. And then like him holding those people <laughs> kind of hostage to make sure the show keeps going on. Um, little, little dark with that, but, um, Overall, first Christmas movie of the holiday for me. I've not watched any yet so far. So, um, I watched one right after this, but uh, this was my first Christmas movie of the of the season. By the way, we record these ahead of time, so it's not like I'm being a Grinch and like the twenty second when this releases, I have not watched any Christmas stuff yet. So. <laughs> yeah, it's it's it, we're still the beginning of the month, so plenty of time. Yeah, literally just started the month. Yeah. Okay, so 
I have something here, but then you said you hadn't seen Jingle all the way, so then I was debating that. But I can save that for next year, really. I can. Because we'll be post-Christmas at that point. I think I'm going to stick with the original plan I had, which I know were called films for the very first time, but we were originally going to be called something different uh, that was taken. So we are going to dip our toes into television here this week. And... I debate it. Should I do a whole string of Christmas episodes of this show? No. I'm going to go three episodes in a row. So, should equate to 60 minutes total. But we're going to start with Season 2, Episode 10 of The Office, which is Christmas Party. So, we're going to start with Christmas, and then we're going to go to the next episode, Booze Cruise, and then the next episode, The Injury, which I think are three very strong Office episodes. I want people to cut loose. I want people making out in closets. <laughs> I want people hanging from the ceilings, lampshades on the heads. I want it to be a Playboy Mansion party. And also, I want you to know and spread the word that I will have my digital camera and I'll be taking pictures all along the way. And the best and craziest thing that happens will be on the cover of the newsletter. Incentive. You do realize that we can't serve liquor at the party. Yeah, I know. Damn it. Stupid corporate wet blankets like booze ever killed anybody. That we will watch uh, U.S. Office, by the way, for people listening at home, um, that, that we're going to jump into. So we'll kind of have another little bit of Christmas cheer, and then we'll go into uh, just two random episodes after that. Okay, so... Girl Peacock. couple things. couple things. Uh, I think you know this. I've never seen any single episode of The Office. Yes. I've watched yep. none of it. It's at all. Ta- it, he's seen Parks and Rec. He's seen Superstore. Written by the same people. He has not seen The Office. Um, okay, so the first one starts at Christmas. Or it's a Christmas episode. A holiday episode. Or do the, the two that follow it, are they, are they just literally like random episodes? Or are they like literally like the next... They're the I next don't know how two. the continuity. I don't. Well, I'm saying like in the continuity of the office. Oh, okay. Are they? Do they follow? Like the next? Because okay, remember how like Superstore would do weird things? Like they would have like a Christmas episode, then they would take like a anywhere from like a four to eight week break or something. Right. right. And then next thing you know, we come back in like March or whatever, and then take like another two week break. Or was this? Were they? Going pretty continuously, and then are these like so? Chris, the following Christmas episode, as far as like New Year's and so on. Yeah, the Christmas episode was December sixth. Booze Cruise was January fifth. Injury was January twelfth. But they all take place in like the winter of that year. Um. So the thing about Office season two is it's a little bit more standalone than any of the other seasons, which is why I think I'm starting with this season for you. Um, it has some of the best episodes in the show. And also there's only like one big overarching plot in that season. And it's just the Jim and Pam, will they, won't they type thing, um, which we're accustomed to from other shows. So in this case, it's really just like, they might make mention to some of the stuff that's happened in the past, but typically these are going to be three episodes that you could just watch at any point and, kind of understand the characters their roles and you know uh, i think they're three of the 
three of the best of the season. Um, my favorite one is the first episode of the season, but I didn't want to like really jump around. So once I looked at the Christmas one and saw which ones were next, I was like, oh, this is perfect. Like, this is a good a good start, I think. Because actually, the episode after the Christmas episode is the first one I had ever seen. So I'll talk about that probably a little bit as well. Okay. But yeah, so that's on Peacock for everybody that is uh, following along with us. I will probably, I'll have to check the Peacock versions to see if they are different because I watch it on the copies I own, typically. I own it on DVD. Yeah, I was going to say, you actually have this person. Yes. You said you have it on DVD and digital? Yeah. I bought them all on digital as well for like $30 one year. Um, Oh, wow. But I already had the seasons on disc. But yeah, it's a good time. Uh, so we'll start with the Christmas episode, even though this will be released after Christmas. But then we'll kind of go a little bit past that. But uh, I wanted a Christmas pick this year too, so I did it now. Yeah, like I said, this is my uh, this is my first dip into the office at all. I've seen like little clips online or whatever, but never, never watched an entire episode or never. So uh, it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, it will. Well, that wraps us up here. Uh, hopefully you have enjoyed our Christmas offering for the week with Scrooge. Um, hopefully everybody has a great holiday over the course of this um, this weekend as this dropped on the 22nd. So travel safely, enjoy your Christmas or any holiday you celebrate during this time. Kwanzaa, Hanukkah, whatever right. it may be. And we will catch you next time for The Office.